Chapter Twenty Four of The Silent House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Nugent. The Silent House by Fergus Hume. Chapter Twenty Four. Lucian is surprised. Although Denzil received Mr. Clime with all courtesy, and promised to aid him if he could, in breaking off the marriage with Ferruci by revealing his true character to Mrs. Vrain, he by no means made a confidant of the little man, or entrusted him with the secret of his plans. Clime, as he well knew, was dominated in every way by his astute daughter and did he learn lucian's intentions he was quite capable through sheer weakness of character of revealing the same to lydia who in her turn since she was bent upon marrying ferruci might retail them to the italian and so put him on his guard denzil therefore rid himself of the american by promising to tell him on some future occasion all that he knew about ferruci satisfied with this clime departed in a more cheerful mood and apparently hoped for the best after his departure lucian again began to consider his idea of calling on Jorce regarding the alibi of Ferruci. On further reflection he judged that, before paying the visit to Hampstead, it might be judicious to see Rota again and refresh his memory in connection with the events of Christmas Eve. With this idea he put on his hat, and shortly after the departure of Klein, walked round to Judith Street. On ringing the bell, the door was opened by Rhoda in person, looking sharper and more cunning than ever. She informed him that he could not see Mrs. Ben Susan, as that good lady was in bed with a cold. I don't want to see your mistress, my girl said lucian quickly to stop rhoda from shutting the door in his face which she seemed disposed to do i desire to speak with you about that there murder asked rhoda sharply then in reply to the nod of lucian she continued i told you all i knew about it when you called before i don't know nothing more can you tell me the name of the dark man you saw in the yard? No, I can't. I know nothing about him. Did you ever hear Mr. Rent mention his name? No, sir. He called and he went, and I saw him in the backyard at 8.30. I never spoke to him, and he never spoke to me. Could you swear to the man if you saw him? Yes, I could. Have you got him with you? asked Rhoda eagerly. Not at present, answered Lucian, rather surprised by the vindictive expression on the girl's face, 
but later on I may call upon you to identify him. Do you know who he is? asked the servant quickly. I think so. Did he kill that man? Possibly, said Denzil, wondering at these very pointed questions. Why do you ask? I have my reason, sir. Where's my cloak? I will return it later on. It will, uh, probably, be used as evidence. Rhoda started. Where? she demanded with a frown. At the trial. Do you think they will hang the person who killed Mr. Vrain? If the police catch him and his guilt is proved, I'm sure they will hang him. The girl's eyes flashed with a wicked light, and she clasped and unclasped her hands with a quick, nervous movement. I hope they will, she said in a low, rapid voice. I hope they will. What? cried Lucian with a step forward. Do you know the assassin? No, cried Rhoda with much vehemence. I swear I don't. But I think the murderer ought to be hanged. I know, I know, well, I know something. See me tomorrow night and you'll hear. Hear what? The truth, said this strange girl and shut the door before Lucian could say another word. The barrister, quite dumbfounded, remained on the step looking at the closed door. So important were Rhoda's words that he was on the point of ringing again to interview her once more and force her to speak. But when he reflected that Mrs. Bensusan was in bed, and that Rhoda alone could reopen the door, which, from her late action, it was pretty evident she would not do. He decided to retire for the present. It was little use to call in the police or create trouble by forcing his way into the house, as that might induce Rhoda to run away before giving her evidence. So, Lucian departed with the intention of keeping the next night's appointment and hearing what Rhoda had to say. The truth, he repeated as he walked along the street. Evidently, she knows who killed this man. If so, why did she not speak before? And why is she so vindictive? Heavens! If Diana's belief should be a true one and her father not dead. Conspiracy, murder, this gypsy girl, that subtle Italian, and the mysterious rent. My head is in a whirl. I cannot understand what it all means. Tomorrow, when Rhoda speaks, I may. But can I trust her? I doubt it. Still... There is nothing else for it. I must trust her. Talking to himself in this incoherent way, Lucian reached his rooms and tried to quiet the excitement of his brain caused by the strange words of Rhoda. It was yet early in the afternoon, 
so he took up a book and threw himself on the sofa to read for an hour but he found it quite impossible to fix his attention on the page the case in which he was concerned was far more exciting than any invention of the brain and after a vain attempt to banish it from his mind he jumped up and threw the book aside although he did not know it lucian was suffering from a sharp attack of detective fever and the only means of curing such a disease is to learn the secret which haunts the imagination rhoda as she stated rather ambiguously it must be confessed could reveal this especial secret touching the murder of rain but for some hidden reason chose to delay her confession for twenty-four hours lucian all on fire with curiosity found himself unable to bear this suspense so to distract his mind and learn if possible the true relationship existing between ferruci and jorce he set out for hampstead to interview the doctor the heaven as jorce with some humour termed his private asylum was the red brick house large handsome and commodious built in a wooded and secluded part of hampstead it was surrounded by a high brick wall over which the trees of its park could be seen and possessed a pair of elaborate iron gates opening on to a quiet country lane externally it looked merely the estate of a gentleman the ground drew a large and when laid down in flower gardens and orchards and as it was dr jaw's system to allow his least crazy patients as much liberty as possible they roamed at will round the grounds giving the place a cheerful and populated look the more violent inmates were of course secluded but these were well and kindly treated by the doctor indeed jaws was a very human man and had a theory that more cures of the unhappy beings under his charge could be effected by kindness than by severity his asylum was more like a private hotel with paying guests than an establishment for the retention of the insane and even to an outside observer the eccentricities of the doctor's family as he loved to call them were not more marked than many of the oddities possessed by people at large indeed jos was in the habit of saying that there were more mad people in the world than were kept under lock and key and in this he was doubtless right however the kindly and judicious little man was like a father to those under his charge and very popular with them all anything more unlike the popular conception of an asylum than the establishment at hampstead can scarcely be imagined
When Lucian arrived at the haven, he found that George had long since returned from his holiday and was that day at home. So, on sending in his card, he was at once admitted into the presence of the local potentate. George, looking smaller and more like a fairy changeling than ever, was evidently pleased to see Lucian, but a look on his dry yellow face indicated that he was somewhat puzzled to account for the visit. However, preliminary greetings having passed, Lucian did not leave him long in doubt. Dr. George, he said boldly and without preamble, I have called to see you about that alibi of Signor Ferruci's. Alibi is a nasty word, Mr. Denzel, said George, looking sharply at his visitor. Perhaps, but it is the only word that can be used with propriety. But I thought that I was called on to decide a bet. Oh, that was Count Ferruci's clever way of putting it responded lucian with a sneer he did not wish you to know too much about his business hmm perhaps i know more than you think mr denzel what do you mean sir cried lucian sharply softly mr denzel softly rejoined the doctor waving his hand I shall explain everything to your satisfaction. Do you know why I went to Italy? No, no more than I know why you went with Signor Ferruci, replied Lucian, recalling Link's communication. Ah, said George placidly, you have been making inquiries, I see, but you are wrong in one particular. I did not go to Italy with Ferruci. I left him in Paris, and I went on myself to Florence to find out the true character of the man. Why did you wish to do that, doctor? Because I had some business with our mutual friend, the Count, and I was not altogether pleased with the way in which it was conducted. Also, my last interview with you about that bed made me suspicious of the man. Over in Florence, I learned sufficient about the Count to assure me that he is a bad man with whom it is as well to have as little to do as possible. I intended to return at once with this information and call on you, Mr. Denzel. Unfortunately, I fell ill of an attack of typhoid fever in Florence and had to stay there these two months. I'm sorry, said Lucian, noting that the doctor did look ill. But why did you not send on your information to me? It was necessary to see you in person, Mr. Denzel. I arrived back a few days ago and intended writing to you when I recovered from the fatigue of the journey. However, your arrival saves me the trouble. Now I can tell you all about Ferruzzi, if you like. Then tell me, doctor, 
if you spoke truly about that alibi? Yes, I did. Count Ferruci was with me that night and stayed here until the next morning. What time did he arrive? About ten o'clock, or, to be precise, said Jos, about ten-thirty. Ah, cried Lucian exultantly. Then Ferruci must have been the man in the backyard. What do you mean by that? asked Jos in a puzzled tone. Why? That conferency had had to do with the crime committed some months ago in Pimlico. A man called Mark Vrain was murdered, as you may have seen in the papers, doctor, and I believe Ferruci murdered him. If I remember rightly, said Joss with calmness, the man in question was murdered shortly before midnight on Christmas Eve. If that is so, Ferruci could not have killed him, because, as I said before, he was here at half past ten on that night. I don't say he actually killed the man, explained Lucian eagerly, but he certainly employed someone to strike the blow. Else, what was he doing in the Georgia Street yard on that night? You can say what you like, Dr. Jaws, but that man is guilty of Mark Vrain's death. No, replied Jaws coolly, he is not. For the simple reason that Vrain is not dead. Not dead? repeated Lucian, recalling Diana's belief. No, for the last few months Mark Vrain under the name of Michael Clare, has been in this asylum. End of chapter 24